and welcome back to Murder Moms. I'm Maggie and this is Janessa. Hello. So how have you been since we last recorded? I've been doing okay. Not really anything exciting. I leave next week to go and see Felix. She moved and I went and got my car a tune-up today so it's ready to go. Cool. Yep. What about you? I've been good. Uh, the library I work at was part of our annual pirate parade since mm-hmm. we last recorded and um we had a float that we decorated and my daughter got to be on the float and throw beads and had a big old blast that's about it that's work. really cool though work's been really busy yeah here comes summer yep yep speaking of summer well i was gonna announce that we're moving the days that we were dropping our episodes but by now by the time you hear this, <laughs> that will have already happened. Yeah. Yeah, Never summer is, is very busy for us, and um, just the scheduling will be better to allow me more time to edit. Mm-hmm. So. so. Well, are you ready to hear this? Let's do it. All right. We are going to Australia. Australia? Yeah. I don't think you've heard of this one. Today, I am telling you about the Shui family murder and abandonment case. Okay. So, on Saturday, September 15th, 2007, a three-year-old girl was abandoned near the bottom of an escalator at Southern Cross train station in Melbourne, Australia. Security footage showed a man bringing her into the building and through security. He whispered instructions to stay still into her ear, let go of her hand, and walked away, only looking back briefly when out of her sight. The man smiled at the cameras before boarding a flight to Los Angeles, California later that same day. What do you mean by smile to the cameras? Like, did he look at the cameras and smile? Well, I'll show you. So this is security footage of them going through the, going through the train station. Okay. Hold on. Can you tilt that screen up? Her jaw just dropped, guys, just so you know. He's giving thumbs up. And he's smiling so big. That can't be for the camera. That has to be somebody else. Uh-uh. He is looking at the security camera. He, he looked at the security camera and it was just like... What the fuck? <laughs> no, he has to... That has to be like a hand signal to somebody else. No. Like, I abandoned that kid. The fuck? It's a hand signal to the security camera. All right. Wow. Wow. So that's how we're starting. The child stood alone until she was finally approached by an elderly Chinese couple. The first station staff member to arrive patted her on the head and, quote, immediately noticed her hair was very greasy, like it hadn't been washed in some time, unquote. Unable to figure out what her name was, police called her Pumpkin, since the brand of clothing she was wearing at the time was called Pumpkin Patch. The video of the girl being left at the train station sparked an international manhunt. Holy cow. And this is the girl. This is Pumpkin. Oh my god, she's so perfect. How could you leave that baby anywhere? She's got like that little. She's got. She's Chinese, and she's got this. What is that, bomb. Madeline? The the French cartoon with the, with the bangs mm-hmm. and the bomb. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the hairstyle. Yeah, she's adorable, and yeah, just left her there. That's that's awful. Yeah. And this is security footage of the um, 
the elderly couple and the station worker finding her. Is she holding? Oh, no. I thought she was holding his arm. No, she's she's just standing there. She she's apparently stood there for a really long time before this elderly Chinese couple was just like, honey, do you need help? I wonder how long they watched her, though. Probably for a while. Yeah, because if I come across a child just standing there, I would assume that there was a parent coming back. Yeah, I always... And I would, like, watch them. I watch, yeah. And so it, that must have been enough time that they felt it necessary. Yeah. The next day, she uh, Pumpkin was placed in emergency foster care. On September 17th, police learned that the girl was named Chen Shun Shui, and the man was her 54-year-old father, Nai Yin Shui. Wow. And if I'm saying these wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, this is what Google how Google said that they should be said. Um, I'm trying. You're trying. I have it, like, phonetically spelled out so that I... Oh, boy, I'm trying my best. The two had flown to Australia from Auckland, New Zealand, two Mm -hmm. days prior. Shui lied while in Melbourne, saying that he was on holiday to a customs officer and that he was relocating to a hotel porter. So he's giving different stories. He also visited a travel agent's office and wanted to buy an immediate ticket to Los Angeles. So he didn't care how many layovers there were. It was just like, when can I leave? Yeah. He wanted a direct flight, couldn't get one. Uh, So he's like, it it doesn't matter. Just as soon as I can get to Los Angeles. Yeah. And this is Shui. This is him. He just looks like an average person. There's Mm -hmm. nothing really... I don't know if his hair was that short in the previous picture, but this is obviously, like, from jail, though, right? I'm not really sure. It's just one of the photos that came up of, of, it said, like, about this time, but... His head is freshly shaven, and he's in, like, a gray sweater, and the background looks like a white metal wall. So it might either be from, like, jail, or it might be a driver's license or something. Yeah. But, yeah, this is him. This is the guy that we're dealing with here. Okay. Chen Shun's 27-year-old mother, Anna Lu, however, didn't come forward to claim her child. Now, did you pay attention to what I just said? You said to come get her child. So, Anna is 27. Yeah. Shui is 54. It's 54. Cool. I'm just giving you more context to this guy that we're dealing with. Yeah. He sounds like a... (laughs) All right, go on. He's great. Yeah, he sounds it. Anand didn't come forward to claim her child, and on September 19th, two detectives found her body in the trunk of Shui's car at their home in Auckland. Oh my god. She'd been there for nearly a week. Oh my god. Uh, Sources that I was reading said anywhere from like four to six days. Holy wow. Yeah. The car stood outside the home for several days, including while police searched inside the house for clues. They couldn't smell? Police defended their decision not to search the car earlier by saying they didn't have a warrant. And here's a photo of them searching the house. And there's the car. Oh my god. Yeah. They're literally standing next to it and they're parked behind it. Yeah. Wow. And she was there. And they did get a lot of crap for this. There were some judges that came out and said, well, why didn't the search warrant cover this? And others and... It was a whole big thing in, in New Zealand. Going back in time, Shui arrived in New Zealand in the mid-90s from China to fulfill his destiny of spreading his martial arts, a mix of kung fu and tai chi, 
around the world. He was even on the cover of an American Tai Chi magazine. This is the cover of the magazine, by the way. Oh, that looks like a promo shot for a really bad movie, Kung Fu Hustle. It looks like it belongs in Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, it's... I mean, I guess it's the 90s, sure. Shui wrote an autobiography in 1998 in which he described himself as a literal gift from the gods. Oh my god. In The Pearl of Wu Style Taiji, The Life of Shui Nayin, he claimed that his childless aging mother had gone to the temple to pray for a son. As she prayed, thunder roared, lightning struck, and the heavens opened. That night, an old man appeared in a dream and said she'd have a son. She should take good care of him, and he'd be a great and successful man. She became pregnant and told her husband, My pregnancy is a secret gift from the gods. I think I've heard this story before. Really? No, like his story. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've read that in some sort of book before. I mean, it kind of sounds like the Jesus story. It does kind of sound like Jesus' story, but I was thinking something different. Shui claimed that by 1982, he had mastered eight martial arts societies and two gong fu schools. What's a gong fu school? So, the articles I got these from, I think that they are using the Chinese version of Tai Chi and, and Kung Fu, saying Tai Chi and Gong Fu. But I'm not sure enough to alter it. Okay. Okay. So if I go back and forth, that's why. And here he is as a martial arts master. This looks... It's not much better than his Tai Chi cover. No. He's not even looking at the camera. I don't want to make fun of this man. But he's not looking at the camera. It looks like he's supposed to be holding something. But there's nothing in his fist. Like... This doesn't look threatening to me. No, it's very limp-wristed. Yeah. Limp-wristed. Yeah. I love the emerald outfit. Yeah. In 2000, Shui spent three months in Los Angeles teaching Tai Chi, but was found to have lied about his qualifications, claiming to be the world's best at Wu-style Tai Chi. In New Zealand once, he invited people to come pit their martial arts skills against him. A large Pacific Islander took up the challenge mm-hmm. and beat Shui easily. <laughs> Good. Fuck you. He also worked as a newspaper publisher in Auckland. He was apparently depressed and plagued by money problems. After he was arrested, the publisher who printed his newspaper, the Chinese Times, said, quote, he does owe us tens of thousands. Tens of thousands? Anan was born in 1980 in China and was the only child of prosperous parents. In 2002, at 22, Anan arrived as an English language student. However, she failed to earn the required marks to keep going to school, and soon her money ran out. Mm-hmm. She thought about returning home, but wanted to save faith with her family. And this is, this is her. Oh my gosh, she's so pretty. Mm-hmm. She's got the best cheekbones I've ever seen in my life. Holy cow. <laughs> Is her hair short or is it pulled back? I think it's pulled back. Okay, because it's about chin length. Yeah. She, and that must be in New Zealand or is that... I'm, I'm pretty sure it's New Zealand. Okay. So since she didn't have the marks to uh, stay in school, her visa was running out. Oh. Right. Anon initially moved in with Shui as a tenant, cleaning in exchange for free housing. But during a discussion about her predicament of her visa starting to run out, 
they talked about marriage and he said, what about me? She agreed, believing that she had no other options, and they married in 2003, despite the 27-year age gap. Anon was also three months pregnant at the time. Oh. Yeah. Her former roommate said that she married Shui to renew her New Zealand residency visa, though this seems to be up for debate among their family friends. I read some other things where a family friend was like, no, 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 she loved him and idolized him, and then... There were other things that said, no, 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 it was just for this. So Anan and Shui bought a home in December 2003 and seemed happy and content. When Chen Shun arrived, Shui was said to be disappointed she wasn't a boy, but adored her all the same. And then okay. here's a family photo. She's so pretty. Mm-hmm. And it looks, it looks like three generations. Around that same time, he established the New Zealand Energy Kung Fu Association, an organization he believed would give him social status, but there was little interest, and before long, he was forced to sell the house to offset debts, which was a major embarrassment. Shui and Anon were forced to share a flat with several of his students, and he was getting increasingly violent. One night, Shui went to cover a Chinese piano recital for the newspaper and kicked an usher who asked him not to take flash photographs of the pianist. Wow. Yeah. That was worth violence. Anan was working, and they were able to save enough money to move into a rental house. In 2006, he claimed to be revered by 40,000 adherents, most of them American, and he was followed for a week by a documentary student. What? 40,000 adherents? Yeah. And how convenient that they're American, literally on the other side of the, of the globe. My girlfriend's Canadian. Right. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought, too. Oh, my God. Okay. But there was at least one in, uh, in New Zealand who really looked up to him, who was a documentary student and decided to make a film about him. Tony Wright, who was the supervisor of the student, um, went with him for this project that he did. And while there, he was ordered not to talk to Anon. Quote, The walls of his house were covered in massive posters of himself doing his martial arts poses, looking very proud. There weren't posters of him and his family on the walls. I got the sense that this was his house and that this is my wife and this is my baby. He did not talk about his wife and how much he loved her. It was all about how much he loved his martial arts career. End quote. Huh. Wright wasn't convinced when Shui wept on camera about the supposed loss of his older daughter, Grace, and about how his new baby gave him a second chance to be a good father. Really? Yeah, I just dropped another child on you. Sure did. We'll get to that. Okay. And uh, just because she's hella cute, here's another, another picture. Oh my god. She's so tiny. He's finger painting. Look at her cute little cheek and her little nose. Oh, baby, you're so cute. I, I say know. baby, but she's like four here. Yeah, she is. I can't stand it. She's so cute. I was like, do I need to add more pictures of this baby? And I was like, yeah, I do because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's adorable. In September 2006, they fought over money and Shui threw a phone at Anon, who was holding Chen Shun, then age two. The phone bounced off and on and hit Chen Shun in the head, leaving a small cut and swelling. Shui then punched his wife two or three times. While she held Chen Shun, he held a 12-inch knife to a non-stomach and said, quote, I treat you good and you don't treat me very well, 
I love you, but you don't love me. I'm going to kill you, end quote. Holy shit. Anan begged for her life and gave him money to placate him before fleeing. Child, youth, and family became involved after that, and Anan was given a protection order and parenting orders against Shui. She spent a month at the Shakti Asian Women's Refuge. When she left the refuge, she claimed to be returning to China, but instead went back to her husband. Wow. That sucks. Cycle of abuse. It's hard to break it. In November 2006, she flew with Chen Shun to China and asked the airline not to reveal her flight details. Two days later, Shui called the airline demanding those details. An's family never even met him. Wow. So she knew that he was going to do this. Yeah. It's unknown why Anan returned to New Zealand in February 2007 or why she resumed contact with Shui, but they lived apart but took their daughter to dance classes once a week and he completed the court-ordered domestic violence program around June. Okay, so she was probably just trying to give him... Yeah, and this is Anan and Chen Shun. Oh my god, the baby... Cute little Bob. I think that is for her. I think they have the same haircut, which is the most adorable thing I can think of. Anan documented her troubled marriage on a Chinese language blog and on a dating site said she was divorced and childless. Hmm. On August 29th, 2007, she detailed two months she spent with a married man in Wellington, though she left a week before his wife returned. Quote, he is married and has a two-year-old daughter, which determines our relationship is merely temporary. We lived together like a happy family for almost two months. I found out that I fell in love with this guy, end quote. Wow. Yeah. She explained her return to Auckland to her mother by saying Chen Shun didn't like the windy, wet weather, and she promised to stay away from Shui. However, he convinced her to take him back, promising to work on his temper. Neighbors reported a loud fight the day before she disappeared, and before fleeing New Zealand, Shui collected his passport and a ceremonial samurai sword from the police. These had been seized after the domestic violence incident, but were given back because charges were dropped after Anon refused to give evidence against him. Wow. Yeah. So, back to the present. An arrest warrant for Shui was issued by New Zealand police on September 20th, 2007, and sent to Interpol in the U.S., who issued a red notice for the Los Angeles Police Department to be on the lookout. The FBI offered to help, and the U.S. Marshal Service issued a wanted poster. Shui was described as 5 feet, 5 inches tall, 200 pounds, and armed and dangerous, and people were warned not to confront him. This is part of his wanted poster. Kind of looks like a toad. He looks a lot like a toad. Yeah. But because... He knew martial arts. They did armed and dangerous. Yeah. Um, and also that's having done our newsletter and I look at the most wanted list a lot. Armed and dangerous just shows up a lot. It's, it's a catch all. Yeah. Okay. Shui was featured on America's most wanted twice and had sightings in Houston, Texas, Biloxi, Mississippi, and in Mobile, Alabama. Authorities believed he was homeless and frequenting Chinese restaurants, and martial arts studios. Chen Shun returned to New Zealand on September 24th and soon reunited with her maternal grandmother, Xiaoping Lu, from China, who sought custody of her. Chen Shun was also discovered to have a half-sister, Grace Shui, which I briefly mentioned, 
Grace was from Shui's earlier marriage and said that she was abandoned by her father when she was 19 in New Zealand, weeks after arriving, with no money and unable to speak English. Holy shit. 19? Yeah. He claimed in the documentary that she had run away. But she says that he abandoned her. Well, fucking obviously he did. Yeah. Now 27, Grace was willing to care for her little sister, though they had never met. Yeah, 100%. I would too. She didn't even know this child existed until, until this happened. About her father, she said, quote, I think he loved himself way more than he ever loved anybody else. On October 4th, family court granted custody to Madame Liu and visitation rights to Grace. Two days later, Chen Shun returned to China with her grandmother. Uh, Grace set up a trust fund for public donations, which raised 40000 New Zealand dollars, but oh. Madame Liu rejected the money. Oh. Yeah. Last I heard, it's just kind of like wallowing there. Yeah. And here is a picture of Chen Shun in China. Oh. So that's after her grandma took her back and has custody of her. She's on a red unicorn. Carousel. I mean, oh, it's gosh. probably a unicorn, but yeah. Oh. Definitely a unicorn. It has a bright purple horn. Imagine her bright red sweater. Yeah. She's super cute. And you can tell she's a little bit older in this picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her grandma um, is like, I'm wealthy and I can take care of her. She's yeah. fine. And doing the math, she's like 15 or something now. And her grandma's like, no, she's, we're doing fine. She's okay. We don't want publicity, please. Yeah. So. That's understandable. Sure. Six Chinese Americans living in Chambly, Georgia. I might be saying that wrong. I'm sorry, y'all. North of Atlanta, 10,000 people, 33 police officers in this town. Okay. So these six Chinese Americans were friends with Mr. Tang, a masseur who was looking to set up business in town. One of them even shared a room with him. However, they became suspicious that Mr. Tang was Shui when they saw his picture in a Chinese-language newspaper in February 2008. Oh. He was even posing in the same way as when he showed them he was a martial arts master. Oh. I'm thinking it was that one with the green shirt. Yeah. They went to the police station to report it, but were unable to make themselves understood. So they decided to capture him themselves. Oh. (laughs) On February 28th, the group lured him to a meeting at a noodle shop. Then they took him back to an apartment where one of them jumped him from behind. Why even take him out for noodles? So he's slower? at first they were going to confront him at the noodle shop, but realized that that was a bad plan. And so they just... Okay. They altered their plan and took him to the the house. After a three to five minute struggle, during which he called his captors traitors, they hog-tied him with his own belt and trousers. They took off his pants and tied them around his legs and used his belt to, to tie his hands behind his back. Wow. One of them went to go call the police, while others sat on him until they arrived. When officers arrived, the group showed them the newspaper article. One of the things I read was they responded to a wanted person call, and when they got there, there was a group of people, and they had the newspaper, and they were just, like, pointing at it and, like, pointing to the house. Yeah. Like, they couldn't verbalize in a way that was understandable. 
officers went into the apartment and they found Shway on the floor. In regards to Shway being a martial arts expert, Assistant Police Chief Mark Bender said, quote, not today he wasn't. <laughs> I could hear you like gearing up for that delivery and I was like, nothing she was going to say. It's going to be funny, but then it fucking was. <laughs> Shway tried to give several false names at first, but he was identified by his New Zealand driver's license. He'd been running for 24 weeks and had overstayed in the U.S. without an appropriate visa, meaning that he was in the country illegally. You dumb bitch. <laughs> On March 9th, Shway was deported back to New Zealand to face murder charges for the death of his wife. Shway pleaded not guilty. His trial began on June 2nd, 2009 in front of an all-female jury. <laughs> I fucking love New Zealand. <laughs> oh, go on. Um, so I have the trial broken down into bits. So this first little part is like facts, just general facts. Okay. On the evening of September 11th, 2007, or early the next morning, Anon was strangled with a yellow necktie. It took about three minutes for her to die. Oh. Shway broke down and wept at the pathologist's description of how her naked body had been found in the trunk of his work car, the tie still around her neck. Apart from the strangulation, there were no other obvious injuries other than a minor scrape on her nose, and there were no signs of a struggle and huh. no, no defensive wounds. Was there a pathology report? Y- yeah. It didn't. The articles I read didn't go into it, but... So they didn't find anything weird then? No. Nothing... Nothing... I'm just trying to think of why she wouldn't fight. Well, if he came up behind her... Yeah, but still, well, she still... would have had under her nails yeah. something. I don't know. They didn't go into it. They just... Everything I've seen has been um, the, just the tie. Yeah. The prosecution presented evidence of ongoing violence and threats by Shway. Anon had been living in fear of her abusive husband for years having previously taken a protection order up against him. He had terrorized her, forcing her to seek shelter in a women's refuge and with a friend in Wellington. They said an angry Shway bought an axe and went to Wellington to try to get her to come home. He said his, he said his wife was lucky he hadn't been able to find her, despite breaking into a house he thought she was staying at. Wow. A friend of Shway asked him... To give her the axe, but he said there was no problems and he wouldn't hurt Anon. <sighs> yeah, yeah. He bought him a, he bought an axe, went to this whole whole other town, broke into where she was staying, and was like, "You should come back with me." That's fucking psychopath behavior. Yeah, and literally told at least one person that she was lucky he didn't find her. Um, the defense argued that splashing noise is going to pop up <clears throat> defense argued that Anon had been unfaithful and died in a sexual misadventure they said she was embarrassed by how by how old Shui was only married him for resin- residency and stopped having sex with him once it was granted oh I thought you might have some thoughts on that I do have some thoughts on that <laughs> Uh, that is... Feeling entitled to sex. Yeah. 
I mm-mm. nope, don't like that. I don't. I'm not even gonna get into that. Okay, I was winning. Shui was angered by the alleged infidelity and tried to paint her as a secretive, dishonest person who'd recently discovered a fetish for autoerotic asphyxiation. He questioned the relationship she had with the landlord in Wellington, saying it was strange that she'd been able to stay there for six weeks with little money or supplies, though the landlord denies anything inappropriate happened. (laughs) (laughs) It was all built up. When asked about the time of death, the pathologist said it was difficult to pinpoint an exact time because she'd been in the trunk for so long. Yeah. The defense asked if Anon had died more recently than the police said, and the pathologist said it was possible. So oh. it's he's, he's trying to poke holes in when she died. Yeah. On June 20th, Shui was found guilty of Anon's murder. After being convicted, he was hauled from the dock, punching the air and yelling, quote, unfair, unfair, I am innocent, as security took him away. That's him doing that. Just in court. He doesn't look upset, though. Well, that's... I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. What a child. He's also dressed, like, in this giant oversized jacket. I think that's a prison-issue jacket. Yeah, that would make sense. But, yeah, he had to be dragged, dragged away. On July 31st, Shui was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum non-parole period of 12 years. New Zealand police were criticized for bungling the investigation, including failure to discover Anand's body in the Honda, mm-hmm. the work car, for at least two days, and the slow response to issue an arrest warrant for Shui, allowing him to disappear into the U.S., However, the Chinese newspaper and the Chinese community were given full credit for capturing him. The six Chinese Americans were even given a $10,000 reward. Oh, wow. Yeah. They spent, let me see, I think it was, they spent 2000 of it on an elderly neighbor and gave the rest to the Chen Shun Trust Fund. Oh, so that's how it got so high. Well, it's part of it. Yeah. And then, like, tons of people in New Zealand were donating. Yeah. Between 2009 and 2010, the Corrections Department received multiple requests from the New Zealand Chinese Herald to interview Shui. All were declined, citing concerns that an interview would likely hurt his victims. However, in 2010, a reporter told Corrections that they had received a 10-page document. Corrections responded by not supporting the publication of the document, and urging the New Zealand Chinese Herald to consider the effect of its publication on the victim's family. Because the document wasn't the result of a prisoner interview, regulations couldn't prohibit its publication, and a book titled I Was Not the Murderer, Proclaiming Shui's Innocence, was published. Why? OJ did it. Yeah, I had the same question. (laughs) True. That's still not the end. No. <laughs> in March 2020, the New Zealand Parole Board listened as he made his first appeal for release. About halfway through his hearing, Shui confessed to the crime publicly for the first time. Here's what he looked like then. What the fuck kind of California surfer dude haircut is that? I don't know. He's got like the beaver haircut. Yeah, that's what I said. I know. How's he just keep... I don't understand. How old is he there? Like 60? Don't remember off the top of my head, but it's like 64 or something like that. His hair is so black. It looks like he went and got like 
printer toner. I don't know how New Zealand prisons work. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shui confessed during his parole hearing. He said in prison he learned how to paint. He had found God and was now a Christian. He was working as a prison janitor and did deep breathing exercises every morning. Wow. What a wonderful life this man has in prison. Mm. He said in 2010, he realized he had to confess and account for what he'd done and said the reason he killed his wife was his, quote, extremely bad temper. The time frame for this realization is at odds with the timing of his actions because that is around the same time he sent the document to the Chinese Herald and the book was published. Ah, yes. So Money. All around 2010, when asked where his daughter was, Shui said he did not know. When asked why he was violent before he killed his wife, he responded, quote, there were always differences in opinions. One reason was due to the gap in ages. When asked if it was a mistake to leave his daughter at the station, Shui said, quote, yes. At the time I brought my child to Australia in order to escape from this, it was very inconvenient to bring her along. When I saw the police coming, I became relieved. I was convinced the police would look after this. I realized that she was safe and the police would bring her back to Auckland, end quote. No, you didn't, you piece of shit. The only part of that that was, the only part of that that was true was that she was an inconvenience to you. I agree. Shui's lawyer said he'd entered rehabilitation and integration programs and had done well, except for the language barrier. His prison record showed good behavior and, compli- and compliance, and Shui had no problem with a GPS monitor or residential restrictions. You've got to be fucking kidding me. The Why? B- the board declined to release Shui because he'd been unable to do any programs to address his violence and the murder of his wife, mainly because of his poor English and remained an undue risk. I did read somewhere that, um, and I forgot to write it down, um, he can try again this year, but I could, I, I might have read that wrong. It might be like 20, I don't know. Like, I'm thankful that they didn't let him back out mm-hmm. because America 100% would have because, well, maybe not. I don't know. He's not white, but <laughs> <laughs> I laugh, but I just said that like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's not white. Um, it's. It's true as why. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredulous laugh. Yeah. But I'm glad they didn't let him out. I just, I don't know why he even has the opportunity to be let out. You killed somebody on purpose. Yeah. And then abandoned your child. <laughs> the fuck? So this murder is solved. He finally confessed. He's in jail. Pumpkin. Most articles I read uh, just called the a sweet baby pumpkin. Uh, but Chen Shun is living with her grandmother. She's like 15 or something, 16 now. And even like Googling pumpkin, where's pumpkin today? It's, there's nothing very recent and it's good. Yeah, it it is good. Um, It's the grandmother speaking and saying she's fine. Yeah, that's all you need. Very much like like, she's fine. You don't want the dad finding out where the fuck she is. Yeah. There, there doesn't need to be any public information on that girl. She's a child. Yeah. She's an adorable baby child, so. All right. Well, That's that was one I didn't too. know. That was good. I yeah. liked it. 
I know our recording schedule and our uh, posting schedule has been real janky. Yeah, that's but, uh, all on me. Hey. Ah. I, I wasn't prepared last time, so. Anything you want to present for us or toss about? Nope. N- nope. No, I sure don't. I have, um... You actually know what you're doing this time, though, don't you? I have two, four, six, eight, ten tabs open right now on my killer. Ooh. Because that's how I research things. In chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Murder Bombs. Be sure to like us, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon, where you'll get exclusives like outtakes, discount codes for merch, and bloopers. Subscribe to our newsletter to see the photos we discuss in the episode, our sources, links to merch, and other bonuses. Submit questions, comments, and corrections to murdermomspodcast at gmail.com. You can also just drop a line to say hi. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks.